I go through a stage every October because Halloween is my favorite holiday. You know, we're losing light. We're going into a time of darkness and interiority. So yeah, every year I go through kind of a, a binge of horror comics. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Ellie Pyle, and Halloween is just a few days away. I am so excited because it's my favorite holiday. So I decided to ask two of our editors, who also love Halloween, to join us on a special edition of Women of Marvel, where we are going to talk about horror comics. Please welcome Associate Editor Sarah Brunstad. Good to see you, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. And we also have Assistant Editor Lauren Amaro. Hi, Ellie. I'm so excited to talk with you and Sarah about this today. All right. So before we dive into horror comics, why don't you both tell me a little bit about who you are and what an editor does for Marvel? Sarah, you can go first. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, I edit Captain Marvel, Black Widow, uh, and a, a few other projects. And um, I work on a bunch of Will Moss's projects as well, like Thor, Immortal Hulk, a lot of the big books like that. And yeah, and in terms of, uh, of what I do, it's a huge job that just you know requires a lot of fingers and a lot of different pies. So I'm recruiting writers and artists. I'm reading scripts and offering suggestions. I'm looking at layouts and trying to help the artist smooth out storytelling. You know, I'm looking at colors. I'm writing solicit copy. It's a lot of different things. Uh, being an editor is a job that requires you to, you know, not just care about the stories, but also be thinking about the art flow and also be thinking about press and PR and how you sell a book. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of different stuff. Yeah, Sarah covered it pretty well. Uh, I'm an assistant editor at Marvel. I work in the X-Men office, currently with Mark Basso on many of his projects like Hellions, Wolverine, X-Force, a couple others, and Jordan White on an upcoming MODOK series that we're putting together, Head Games. That's going to be very exciting. But yeah, so my job is a lot of sort of the actual boots on the ground project management. So doing things like making sure that files are getting sized and passed off to the right person, uh, helping to keep people on deadlines and getting assets where they need to go in addition to all the things Sarah already listed and doing some of the PR of solicits and getting those in on time and making sure that, you know, different departments are sort of aware of what they're doing so they can promote it on their end. I used to hate writing solicits. Like everybody has like their weird favorite thing in editorial and their weird like least favorite thing. And writing solicits made me crazy because, you know, just summing things down and getting it into not I'm not telling the story. I'm just trying to figure out what will get people excited. Not my strong suit. How about how about you two? Do you have a particular like weird editorial thing that you love or that you hate? I hate doing book lineups, uh, which is where you get an Excel spreadsheet and you have to fill in like where the ads go and that kind of stuff. Weirdly, that's my favorite. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually love doing that as an intern and I still kind of like it because it feels like the piece where the book comes together the most. You get to see how people will actually read it. Mm. Um, and it's like a fun little puzzle to do. But I can see how it gets frustrating every now and again when you get a book with a lot of spreads and then certain ad requirements, and then it becomes the bane of your existence. But Yeah. And I, I find, you know, it's a difficult thing to learn as a writer to figure out how page counts work and thinking about how many ads you're going to have in a book and where they should fall. Somebody like Al Ewing does it brilliantly, like doing his lineups are so easy because it's very clear in his scripts that this is meant to be a break. 
whereas a lot of writers don't necessarily think about that. So it, it gets a little awkward sometimes where you're trying to not interrupt the flow of story, but you have a certain number of ads that got to go in there. Absolutely. But it can be an opportunity to pace things for reveals and surprises. So mm-hmm. so I heard a rumor from Jake Thomas that both of you are fans of horror and horror comics. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Why horror comics? I love horror that really does interior work in not just like the physicality of horror, but the emotional state of it. And so I read horror comics because they are such a source of catharsis. I was seeing somebody tweet the other day about how uh, the largest consumers of true crime podcasts are women, which is very strange because a lot of the violence in those podcasts is directed towards women. So like why I love them and like, why do I love them? But it it is, you know, hopefully, especially in superhero comics, you get to the end and you have a sense of justice, like something good has come out ultimately. And then you get the catharsis of having gone through this experience and had the emotionals kind of set into you so that you come out feeling sort of washed out, clean. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm not a true crime fan. I actually find it really hard to sit down and consume, but for some reason, horror comics and horror movies are something that I do find myself drawn to. I think for a lot of the reasons you said, like it's so interesting to see our fears examined and externalized and made both familiar and different. So you can sort of come at it in a new way. And I think your understanding of it and even like your reaction to it changes and shifts and you get to, again, be scared without actually having to be in that situation. And there's something cathartic about that. I think horror comics are so interesting because they're so much harder to do than I think other forms of comics. Um, I think horror books and movies sort of have an advantage just because of the medium. You can describe something, but you don't actually have to show it. You can let the reader's imagination run wild in like a prose novel. And in a horror movie, you have sound and jump cuts and other things to sort of help supplement that. But in comics, like you have to kind of put a pin in it and put something down on the page. So I think just structurally, they're so fascinating, especially when they're done well. Like there's just panels or moments that just stick with you. Are there particular techniques that you've noticed in horror comics that use the conventions of the medium better than any other medium does to create a horror experience? Um, The horror comic that I read recently, uh, and I you know, blasphemy, and this is not a Marvel comic, but uh, I read The Low, Low Woods written by Carmen Maria Machado. And that book does it really beautifully because you you talk about those page turns, you turn the page and then there's something, uh, an image that is so uncanny. Like a there's, I think it's the second issue you open up and one of the characters is sinking into the floor and her whole body, there's a literal hole in her body that is just an absence, a disappearance. And the text of it doesn't delve into the horror itself. Like it's not obvious through the text. The image and the text are almost working on different levels. It's both a literal experience of the horror of what's happening to her body and also a very emotional, very metaphorical experience. So yeah, when you can get it to work on both levels like that, I think that's the the tip top. I'm actually so excited that you already brought that up because that was one of the first books that I thought about. Um, because I loved it. I read the first issue and was like immediately sold on it. And I was so shocked that I believe it was Carmen Maria Machado's first comics work. Yeah. 
because it really doesn't skip a beat. Like uh, it just immediately, I think, takes off. And that's a credit to both Carmen and the artist Danny and how well they work together on that. Danny's art leaves so much to the imagination too. Like you have these beautiful flowing pages, transitions are mm-hmm. done really gently. And so then when you do come across those like startling images, it's very shocking and very like visceral. Yeah. And Tamara Bonvalin on colors and Steve mm. Wands on letters, like just tie it together so beautifully. It's mm-hmm. really well done. So how did you both get started reading horror comics? I go through a stage every October because Halloween is my favorite holiday. So I always try to like soak up as much as I can. And I love the, you know, the traditional feeling of why we do it around that time of year that the, you know, we're losing light, we're going into a time of darkness and interiority. And so it makes sense to like indulge those kind of darker urges. So yeah, every year I go through kind of a, a binge of horror comics. I sort of flitted around horror comics. I would see them on stands. And if like the cover was really interesting, I'd grab it. But I never necessarily sought it out explicitly until I was in college. And then I actually acted as a curatorial assistant on a museum exhibit about EC comics. And that was a very deep dive into some classic, classic, really fun crime and horror comics from the 50s and 60s. And if you have a chance, those stories are so fun. We get so many weird little precursors of uh, horror elements that are still around today, like the Crypt Keeper, the Vault Keeper, the Witch, kind of like the Ice Cream Man series has the Ice Cream Man. And they're just so fun. Uh, They're all little tales of comeuppance that are really just wild. Some of them are just so out there, but they're so fun. There's some great artists in there. And, you know, I spent however many months, maybe six months, dealing with that material and then out of it sort of came out with a new appreciation of horror comics and started seeking it out more and more and there's so many great horror comics out today that there's there's a great wealth of stuff to check out so it's been fun getting into it from there ec is so good i have a collection of their war comics which is that that's not a genre that i typically indulge but i love it so much uh the art is Wild, like you said, the stories get really crazy. The war ones, I think, double as horror comics because they're so upsetting and intense to read. Yeah, EC Comics is so fascinating. They were so socially progressive, especially for the time they were being produced in and some of the subject matter that they deal with. So talking about EC, horror comics have obviously been around for a very long time. Are there particular things that you've seen evolve in the genre? Like you mentioned that some of the characters that we have go all the way back to those EC comics, but are there other things that you have seen kind of grow and change with the times? I think that the old Marvel horror comics are great, and some of them are beautiful. Like I went back and looked at Tomb of Dracula, number one, recently um, with the Gene Colan art. But I think what you do see there is there's a lot more text on the page. There's a lot more narration that's trying to do the work of a prose novel, like Lauren was talking about, where it does a lot of the mood setting and all of that. And I think that as the medium has grown, we've grown out of that. And now we're able to communicate it a lot faster and a lot more uh, with that kind of gut punch, because you don't need all of the words to set the tone. So I like that, I think, Marvel's modern horror comics are a little bit more pared down and a little bit more visually focused. But that said, I I mean, I do love a lot of that classic stuff. Even, you know, I think Werewolf by Night, number one, the the new one, and a lot of the old Werewolf by Night comics, those are classics that I really 
uh, encourage people to go back and look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that we've developed a visual shorthand for horror uh, comics, both through movies and experimentation that just wasn't there before. So you get to do more experimental stuff. You get to lean less on spelling things out and just leaving it for the reader to interpret. Um, and I think you get to be more experimental in your panel borders, just because, again, we're more familiar with comics. We know how to read them so you can get weirder. You can try new things. And I think we're also exploring more nebulous concepts. Like we're not always looking at werewolves or vampires, although those comics are still great and with new twists. But like, I feel like a lot of comics I've been looking at recently have dealt with themes of like eco horror because of like where we're currently at in the world and fears that are more present today. So I think it's shifting subject matter and again, getting to be a bit more experimental. I'm actually working on an eco horror comic right now. I can't say what it is yet, but I'm very excited about it. Oh, I was going to ask if you had any favorite uh, eco horror comics that you'd recommend. Oh, um... I haven't read it yet, but I recommended to me has been uh, Stages of Rot by Lena Sturt. It's supposed to be really good uh, in a horror, eco-horror theme. I have been reading um, Submariner The Depths, which is a series from 2008 that I, I came across recently. And it, it's kind of eco-horror because it deals with, it sets up a really cool scenario, like you were talking about with the uh, doing interesting twists where you're introduced to a cast of characters who are not familiar Marvel faces at all. And they are you know, taking a submarine down into the trenches of the ocean and they're afraid of the Submariner. He is the like monster that's haunting them through the series. And you know, Submariner is always such a fun and interesting character because he's very arrogant. Uh, he's you know, often problematic, but he comes at it from this perspective of like, you are hurting my home. The ocean is this whole kingdom that you are polluting. And I love that that's been part of Maymore's story since the very beginning. So seeing that in this miniseries is really interesting. You all basically have explained this, but just to give a very clear definition for people who may not be familiar with it, what is eco-horror, just if people are hearing that term for the first time? It's horror that deals with the grief of what we are going through with our planet being under attack and being polluted everywhere. I think people are realizing that, you know, we've known about climate change for more than 50 years. We've known what was coming. Uh, the companies that continue to pollute the earth knew what was happening and continue to do it intentionally. And that disconnect between like, we know the truth, and yet we are continuing on this path has created such an odd mentality for our generation. And so now you have young kids, like uh, my aunt, her kid has been having nightmares about the end of the world because they know that climate change is really bad and it's going to look terrible in the next lifetime. We're going to have, you know, flooded coastlines and all of that. So it's that kind of existential dread that is like catching up to us, basically. I feel as though we've been collecting it in our bodies for so long and now it's like bursting out because it's becoming something that you cannot ignore. So eco-horrors is diving into that, the body horror of all of this trapped pollution in our bodies and in the world around us. Which is particularly interesting given that so much of superhero comics, Marvel comics in particular, were born out of a fear of radiation. 
that, you know, so many of our characters got their powers from having encountered radiation in some way that I have, I have long wondered what the next, you know, really scary thing that's going to give birth to the next wave of comics and heroes. And this makes perfect sense that this would be it. So let's go back for just a second and talk about Werewolf by Night because you mentioned him and I'm very excited about this new series that's coming up and uh, it will be out by the time people hear this podcast. So do either of you want to talk a little bit about that and tell people why they should also be excited and pick this up? I got to read the first two issues and uh, yeah, it, it looks really cool. It's a art by Scott Eden, who's a great, you know, classic kind of storyteller. And uh, the writing by Ben Jacketoff and Taboo was so fun. They set out to create a brand new character. I love origin stories uh, and getting to tell new ones because we don't get to do it as often as I would like since we have you know, so many legacy characters. So getting to do a brand new origin story and getting to read what they've done is very fun. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I've snuck a peek at the first issue. I like went into the folders to see if I could find it because I was so excited about this issue coming out. Um, so I've only read the first issue, but again, it's a great introduction to a new character, a fun spin on a pre-existing character. But also it's it's very exciting personally as a person of color to see more of that reflected in Marvel's pages, something that I think we've all been trying to make an effort to do and promote more. And it is just already so personal of a story, talking about um, issues that are affecting the Native community, but again, doing it in a way that is very true to the Marvel tradition of the world outside your window and telling an exciting story. And that would seem to also be a movement that we are seeing in horror in general, is to kind of decentralize the white perspective in that, you know, certainly having just finished watching Lovecraft Country over this weekend, I think that we are starting to see different perspectives on what is horrifying. So I am, I am glad to see that we are tapping into that a little bit in our comics as well. Yeah, a great comic that actually explores that is Infidel by Pornsack Pichichot. It's a great haunted house story that explores xenophobia and racism. And I think does a pretty great job of balancing like a multi-ethnic cast, exploring some of those realities. It also is constantly causing the reader to question their own assumptions that they're making while reading it. It's a great read. It's, I want to say five, six issues, close miniseries. It's definitely been one of my favorite reads in the past year or two. That's awesome. So are there particular... Marvel characters that you two would love to see get a horror treatment. What's your what's your dream Marvel horror book? Oh man. It's a good question. Uh this is cheating a little bit because we've already seen a taste of it. But my probably favorite character is She-Hulk and I think delving into the body horror that she deals with is really fascinating. Al Ewing kind of did that in a uh, Immortal She-Hulk one-shot that we did as an aftermath of Empire. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see someone kind of take the reins of that and go a little deeper because I think her original creation and presentation as a creature of rage is the one that is the most interesting to me. And I think it's fascinating that we created this female version who 
has the same rage and arguably more justification for it than Bruce Banner. And yet she remains the more measured Hulk in most encounters. So dealing with that tension of her kind of, you know, social conditioning to be more demure, to be softer, to be feminine versus the rage that makes her the creature that she is. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see. You'll have to come back to me on that uh, because the only character that's coming to mind right now is a man thing. But that's something that we've we've seen a little bit before and we've, we've played with. It'd be fun to be able to pull a character that we haven't done that in a while with or haven't explored yet. I'm going to do a quick plug for the one horror book I got to make at Marvel many years ago, which was uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number four. And Clay McLeod Chapman did this just horrible story about what if Spider-Man had been a kid who was a sociopath and um, it just it it just goes off the rails from there but it was a lot of fun in an event like Spider-Verse to take a character as pure as Peter Parker and just go in a completely different direction with you know a a non-Peter Parker version of that character. And we got to do a fun EC cover on that too, which was a good time. You've already mentioned several of your favorite horror books thus far. Are there others that we haven't gotten to yet that you want to make sure people take a look at during this Halloween season? Yeah, uh, I think that we would be remiss to not mention uh, the Morbius book by Vita Ayala and uh, Marcelo Ferreira, Mm -hmm. um, which I believe both trades are out now. That's a really great one and a good delve into a character who who I love, who like does the Marvel thing of straddling being this like person who ultimately wants to do good but is cursed with this terrible affliction and this terrible need for bloodshed. Editor Jake Thomas put together uh, for Marvel's 80th anniversary last year a horror anthology project called Crypt of Shadows. I believe Al Ewing had a story in there, James Beard, a couple others, but it was really well done. I think Jake is a big, big horror fan, and that shows uh, in the stories that he curated for the project. It's a lot of fun. But in terms of other comics, this isn't a straight-up horror comic necessarily, but I recently reread House of Penance, um, which was a 2016 comic by Peter J. Tomasi and drawn by Ian Bertram, who is just an amazing artist. And it's following a construction worker, well, a man who becomes a construction worker on the Winchester home, which is um, mm-hmm. sort of a historical account, but also like a very fantastic sort of grown into an urban legend because the wife of the house, when her husband and daughter died, became convinced that she needed to continuously build the house in order to stave off ghosts who were haunting her family due to, there were all the people who were killed by Winchester rifles. The end result is like the house at its height was seven stories and had like over 160 rooms. Growing up in the Bay Area, this house was based in San Jose. So I would see like signs for it and always, you know, long car trips, like just sort of daydream about it. So it was a very fun discovery for me to see it. It's a beautiful book. I think a great exercise in like building tension. And again, Ian does like very experimental panel borders and the notion of like the ghosts and um, sort of the curse that surrounds them is displayed metaphorically like it's always present you see like red tendrils creeping up from the floorboards surrounding characters but no one ever interacts with them or sees them they're just there for the reader I think it's beautifully done 
I was able to go to the actual Winchester Mystery House a couple of years ago, and it is crazy. <laughs> it is just it is just an absurd place. It would be a very fitting setting for a comic book. Lots of cool stuff that I imagine they were able to do there. I should mention Immortal Hulk, which is like the ultimate horror, not horror book right now. But there's an issue of that book, and I think it's 36 that opens on um, the leader talking to one of the characters and, it, and it, it's like three pages of a scene uh, repeated and the camera angle shifts as the leader enters the scene. And it's really interesting. That was Al Ewing's like brilliant brain, but also Joe Bennett taking what he does and just like twisting it in a new way. I remember reading that first issue and there's two double page spreads back to back that were just a gut punch. I just saw that and I think closed the book and then opened it again so I could do the same page turns. <laughs> that book is uh, amazing and definitely one of the the best, I think, superhero horror comics that we're putting out right now. So whether it was technically a horror comic or not, what is the scariest Marvel comic that you have ever read? I mean, it probably would be Immortal Hulk, to be honest, because, uh, you know, earlier I was talking about how I love the interiority of horror, I feel like Immortal Hulk has done that particularly well and taken this whole dichotomy of like heaven and hell and turned it into something new that creates like a whole new area of the Marvel Universe that is terrifying and specific to this, uh, you know, one entity. So yeah, I think that book probably scares me the most. And it, it also delves into some eco horror. So... The perfect book for this discussion. <laughs> I think I'd have to agree because, again, there's something that's so interesting to me about the interactions between Bruce and Hulk and the mirror that they hold up to each other and just how it forces him to examine himself and his life and the people around him in a way that is like a little bit scary to be put on that spot. And again, something I think that Al balances pretty well. And what is horror other than, you know, reflecting what we see in ourselves and other people. Absolutely. And that does make horror a natural fit for Marvel in a lot of ways, since the core of the best Marvel comics is always a metaphor of some kind. So while we have you both here, are there any projects you're working on that aren't horror related, but that you are super excited to tell everyone about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I am this week. Uh, so Probably by the time this is out, the book will be out or close to it. Uh, I'm finalizing the last pieces of Marvel's Indigenous Voices, which has been my baby for the last uh, few months. I'm really, really excited for that book. It's come out even better than I thought it was going to be. Jeffrey Varege uh, turned in some pages for uh, the opening, the introduction, and I, I won't spoil what they are, but they look incredible. Yeah, the whole package, it's going to be really fresh, I think. And all of the stories feel very relevant. Uh, they feel very much like they're going to be slated into the Marvel Universe, like the, the Echo story that Rebecca Roanhorse and Wayshada Vitra did with Lee Lee Ridge on Colors. That story is going to have an impact. Uh, and I really hope that people pick it up so that they get the full perspective of what's happening with her. I am actually very excited for a license project that we're working on, Warhammer 40,000, uh, Marnius Calgar. I was not familiar with the Warhammer universe before stepping onto this project, but it's a very different kind of area than we typically 
or genre that we do um, at Marvel. So it's been fun exploring that. The universe is very grim, dark, uh, very sort of yes. hopeless in a way, uh, in the way that the world is just constantly consumed by war and violence. And watching Kieran put his spin on that, find an entryway into this incredibly vast world has been very exciting to see unfold. And Jason Burroughs is doing an amazing job with the art, uh, Hava Tartaglia, again, just adding his special brand of colors over everything, just ties it together so nicely. And the story that they have are building and some of the twists that Kieran has teed up, I'm very excited to see Warhammer fans react to it and also see new readers who may not be familiar with Warhammer find their way into the universe through this comic. I'm not a Warhammer person, but I am excited for that book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us today. And I hope that you have an absolutely horrifying Halloween season uh, <laughs> to the level of your taste and such things. Thank you. Yes. Yes, you too. If you're out there listening and you have a favorite horror comic you want to share with us, tweet us using the hashtag Women of Marvel, and we'd love to hear your picks. And I'm excited to read some of the books that we talked about today that I haven't had a chance to look at yet, so I'm going to do that on Marvel Unlimited, where I can now tell you the super exciting news. As of October 19th, all new comics will now be on Marvel Unlimited just three months after they're in stores. So you can catch up on months of reading with new issues of Avengers, Immortal Hulk, or X-Men, or if you don't want to pick just one specific character, try our most recent crossover event, Empire. With 28,000 issues on the app now, Marvel Unlimited is the place for fans to read their favorite Marvel stories all together. And if you're new to Marvel Unlimited, as a listener of the show, you can get 50% off your first month of Marvel Unlimited. Just sign up at marvel.com slash unlimited and enter promo code women of marvel until next time this is marvel your universe Women of Marvel is produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg, along with Judy Stevens, Anjali Crochet, and me, Ellie Pyle. Our audio development manager is Karen Heffa, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 